Shalom, mishpacha. Shalom, family. Mishpacha is a Hebrew word, means family. And we're the mishpacha, the family with the Jewish heart, made up of Jewish and non-Jewish people. We're the middle wall of separation between Jew and Gentile. It's finally come down to form one new man, one new humanity, one new species of being, getting ready, mishpacha, to blow the grandest shofar or the grandest trumpet in Zion. We want everyone, everywhere, to hear the good news. We want everyone everywhere to be red hot for the Messiah. Well, in the studio, I have Rick Joyner. Many of you are familiar with him. Many of you have read his books. But Rick told me he has recently had some encounters with the Lord that short of his salvation experience are the most significant that he has ever, ever had. And I said, I need you in my, my studio. But, Rick, I I, I have to uh, publicly protest. I think it's totally unfair. He had an opportunity to ask God any question he wanted, and he was in such a situation that he heard God's voice as clear as he ever has. Could you picture having the opportunity to ask God any question? that you want, that you've been pondering? How about you? I know I've got lots of questions. I mean, I must be filled with questions. Well, I want to find out some of the things that God told Rick. Uh, But uh, let's take you back to, uh, you you have to go on a trip, and all of a sudden, your car doesn't work. Yeah, well... I was intending to drive down to where our family vacations on the Gulf Coast, and uh, my car died and wouldn't start, and nobody could fix it. They were calling engineers all over the world, and that's when I said, you know, this is supernatural. And uh, But anyway, my natural thought, I'm going to take an air, airline, I'll fly down. And then I heard the Lord say, ride your motorcycle. And it was so loud and so clear I couldn't deny it. But I'd never ridden anywhere close to that far before. I mean, it was like three times further than I've ever ridden my motorcycle in a day, even when I was much younger. So, um, but I was determined to obey, even if I had to stop, take several days to do it. I ended up doing the ride, uh, part of it one day, uh, stopped, stayed with my daughter. The next day, I did almost 700 miles in one day on my motorcycle which if anyone understands motorcycles, one, you know, I say motorcycle miles are to car miles like dog years are to car, to uh, human years. I mean, <laughs> it's just much more intense. It wears you out. It's much more fun, but it's but uh, it's because the Lord joined me on that ride. His presence came on me. I mean, I've had a lot of experiences with him, but it was an uncommon presence of the Lord. I felt him with me on, on the motorcycle. I, I, you, know, you know what's coming to my mind is uh, you sacrificed because God told you to do something you didn't want to do. Uh, you told me it rained when you were on that trip. What, what does rain feel like when you're going 70 miles an hour or so on a motorcycle? It feels like bullets. Even though I haven't been hit by bullets, I think it would feel like bullets. But uh, I just got behind my windshield, got comfortable, and I was fine. Yeah, but you, you, just... you were a baseball catcher, and you, your knees are shot. 
Yeah. You can't do that. That was <laughs> tough. And I this is where I thought, you know, this is really going to be hard. And when I said to Lord, you know, I got about as far as I thought I could go in that day. I was so sore. Didn't think I could put my feet down. Uh, I just said, Lord, if I go any further, you've got to heal my knees. And he did. I would. It, it was just absolutely incredible the way. Next time I stopped for gas, I felt like I could run laps around the gas station, you know. Now, you told me that you felt him. You felt his presence. I, I, I know spiritual things, it's hard to put into words, but try to put that into words. What do you mean? Yeah, it's, you know, uh, I've been in, I've had a few times where the presence of the Lord would come into a room or something. You didn't have to see him with your eyes. It's like your eyes are, you don't even need them at that point. You know he's there. And it was like that. I felt him behind me on the motorcycle, and I felt him like he was talking into my ear. And uh, I had never had anything. I mean, I have a great time with the Lord on my motorcycle. And it's one of my best places to pray and intercede. And and uh, But I had never ha- had anything like that. And I've never heard him, I've never had him speaking to me conversationally like that. I mean, I've had him give me directives, give me orders, do this, but it's it's always been that. This was of a wholly different nature. He actually told you something that shocked you. Tell me about that. He told me a lot of things that shocked me, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm relating to him the way I always do. What can I do for you, Lord? And he said, you know, labor is cheap. He said, uh, you know, friends are expensive, but sons are priceless. And uh, I was, you know, real excited about this book I wanted to finish on my vacation. And he he was basically uh, saying, I can get anybody to write books, but I don't have many friends. It's hard for me to believe, Rick. God is saying to you, I want a friend. I don't have many friends. That's what you're telling me. That's what he said. And that, that, that God, is, the creator of the universe doesn't have enough friends? Well, you know, they say no successful person can make friends. Because once you get successful, everybody's wanting to get close to you for all their agendas and reasons. I don't think that's true, but they say that. But once you're on a pinnacle... It's hard to make friends. And I feel like God, you know, somehow we put him on such a pinnacle. And I had I only related to him as almighty God. I would when I came to him, it was what can I do? Give me orders. But it, there was you never relate, you related to God as a servant because you want him to say one day to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Absolutely. That was the focus of my life. But he's changing your paradigm now. Tell me a bit about it. Yeah, he said he had to deliver me from my slave mentality. But he said I could not have gotten there without that slave mentality, without my focus. To what serve. a paradox. <laughs> you couldn't get to the point unless you had a slave men- servant mentality. And But he wants now to deliver you from it, I guess because we program ourselves and we're not thinking outside of the box of where God wants us. Yeah. And that's what I was doing. You know, my whole relationship to him was about what I could do for him. And it's far more important what we become than what we do. And he's 
he would to him it was far more important to have a friend than it was for me to just write more books and all. Even though I'll do that, but it, it was shocking to me, and it it was hard for me to grasp. It was hard. It was extremely awkward, the way the day over, you know, unfolded. But uh, it was more wonderful. It was so wonderful. I'm fine being awkward. I and well, I just it, said, Lord, help me out. What do you, what was the awkward part? Just adjusting from servant to friend. Yeah, huh. and I'm still working that out. I'm still struggling with that. I consider myself a baby friend, an immature friend who's trying to be a better friend every day. And I'm trying to be a better servant, too. I don't think I was the best servant I could be. I've got room to grow there. But uh, I want to be delivered from that mentality and learn to approach him as a friend. But learn more than that to be a friend. To your best understanding now, what, what is a friend of God? Well, you know, I have a lot of employees. You do, too. Right. But then you have friends. Right. You know, they're the ones you go out to eat with, you hang out with, you you may go, you know, do stuff together, go to get, you know, there's just a different relationship. And when I'm with my friends, sometimes I don't want to talk business. You know, I don't want to talk details of management and things like that. We may talk about the Lord because that's always appropriate. But, um, you know, it's a different relationship. And uh, I felt the same way that, you know, he didn't want to talk about the books I was writing. He didn't want to talk about these things so much. He wanted me to relate to him on a different level. Okay. Why did, why did he do this with you? Why you? Why did he pick you? Well, you know, I'll probably, uh, you know, I had set my heart to be the best servant I could be. I was seeking the sons of Issachar anointing, and, you know, Issachar, he was prophesied over to become a slave at forced labor. But that's how the sons of Issachar got their anointing. They became slaves, hmm. as you see. I didn't in, know that. Yeah, in Genesis 49, if you look at what Jacob prophesied over Issachar, when he saw that the land was pleasant and good, he bowed his shoulder, which speaks of his authority, to become a slave at forced labor. And, and, and the sons of Issachar knew that times that we were in. They understood the prophetic times. Yeah, and they also had, knew, had a practical understanding, what do we do in these right. times? So, and I'd been praying for that for the years, and the Lord said, to get that Sons of Issachar anointing, you've got to become a slave like they did. So for many years now, I've been trying to be the best slave, and he would give me jobs others didn't want. He would give me people to help that others didn't want to help, and, you know, stuff like that. It was really... Hard, but being the Lord's slaves is the best job you could ever get. It was the most fulfilling thing and wonderful. I almost feel like guilty, you know, claiming to have done much. But uh, it was a wonderful time. But uh, I had this whole mentality. I approached him as a servant with the master. And he, on this motorcycle ride, said, we've got to change our relationship now. He said, now you're a friend. And now I'm calling you a friend, and now we've got to relate as friends. So, and I'm just starting out on that and uh, learning okay, more every day. I think. You know more than me. Tell me what you know about being a friend for God. Well, one thing, if you're, he said friends are expensive. I think you've got to invest in friends. Hmm. 
you know, you've got to take them out to eat. You've got to, you know, really commit and invest to making friends. Yeah, how do you take the Lord out to eat? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, how do you do that? <laughs> well, he says, you do unto the least of his little ones. I always claim to be the least of his little ones. So as I do unto myself, I've done unto him. Just joking. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> but, I was wondering uh, first that now I got it. <laughs> yeah, but truly, he said, as you do unto the least of his little ones, you've, you're doing it to him. We can take him out to lunch every day by taking out his people. And he said, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in my name. I believe we have to see him and his people. But I think that's something, too. You know, the, the people who have helped my children are my closest friends. And my closest friends are always concerned about my children. Hmm. How are your kids doing? How are your... And I think there's something that, too, where we love what he loves, love the ones that he loves. I think this is all apart, but care about him. Now, this was the the most challenging thing. I, I was in this movie premiere or documentary premiere that I've been a part of with about 500 of almost all Hollywood people, probably the most liberal people in the country. And I, I think I'm one of two Christians in the entire group. And I felt the power of God that night like I had not in church in many years. And I felt power go out. They felt it. They said they felt it when I <laughs> shared some scriptures. They felt the power. One lady from the Sierra Club said she felt like it almost knocked her down some stairs. It was so strong. And I went back to my hotel room. I said, Lord, I didn't think you'd even go to something like that. And he was there powerfully all night. And he said, you were with my friends tonight. Wait a second. I protested These just are like heathen. that. That's what I said. I said, Lord, they don't even know you. He, he indicated to me they will. But this is what he said. He said, but they love something that I love very much and my people don't pay much attention to. He said, I so love the world, not just people, but the whole world. And, uh, you know, the scripture I quoted where so much power went out that night was the one in Revelation 11 where it says he will destroy those who destroy the earth. God really cares about the world, too. He cares about us more than many sparrows, but he loves the sparrows, too. But anyway, he called them his friends because they love something so much that he loves. And that really, really got my attention. Now, I believe they're going to know him, but there is something, too, of really devoting ourselves. The best friend that you could have would be those who are so devoted to you they want to know what you love. They want to know how to, to, to care for that or, you know, the ones that you love and, and things like that. I think it's the same devotion to the Lord. You know, I find that most people are interested in themselves. They're not interested in others. Yeah. And, uh, and, and some of the things you're doing is triggering what Jesus said was the most important commandment, to love God with all your might, soul, spirit, strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. It really gets simple. It's utterly simple. But I think also, you know, why he said he didn't have many friends, he didn't have many who would really spend time with him. Now, they'll spend time in study, they'll spend time in a lot of things, but I think he wants, you know, the best friends are those who will listen to you. They care about your heart enough to want to really listen to you. You know, when I think about a friend of God, 
I think about Brother Lawrence. I read his book many years ago, and then I just reread it, and it was almost like it was a brand new book called The Practice of the Presence of God. And this was a monk that was a dishwasher and that had nothing, but he was totally focused. Even when washing dishes, he was with Jesus all the time. And people of the highest uh, royalty, so to speak, and the highest business connections would make appointments to see this dishwasher because the presence of God was on him. And God told you something about Brother Lawrence. What did he tell you? Well, I asked him about Brother Lawrence. That was one of your questions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. When I, I'd actually asked him if he cared about sports. I mean, he said, ask him anything. You asked else. God I asked if the he Lord. cared about sports? I did. That was the only thing I could think that of. That is, I'm going to tell you, that is so unreligious well, to ask such a question. <laughs> I don't think God is nearly as religious as we tend to be. But that's what he was wanting. He wanted me to ask real questions that I cared about because I, I love sports. I love going to ball games and and I, I just enjoy it. I enjoy doing it with my kids. And um, But I asked him. He said he loved what we loved. And uh, he just desired to be included in what we're doing. And that's when I asked him, do you mean, you know, practicing your presence like Brother Lawrence? And I don't think it's so much really practicing his presence as it is acknowledging his presence and seeing him and, and abiding in him and knowing his presence. He's with us right here, right now. Do we acknowledge him? Do we see him? So how are you going to acknowledge him right now? What would you do? What you think about him? I, I don't know. You tell me. Well, I think one thing Brother Lawrence did, he washed every dish as if Jesus were going to eat off of it. Wow. Because even the least of his little ones, as you, if even the least of his little ones ate off those dishes, it was as if Jesus. Mm. And I think he was talking to the Lord the whole time. And I believe he grew in this fellowship and relationship and conversation that I've honestly felt very awkward at, but I want to grow in it. Uh, and uh, so, so what did Jesus say about Brother Lawrence? He said he loved washing dishes with Brother Lawrence. That is so, that blows the religious mind. <laughs> I'll tell you about what, when we come back, yeah. I've got to find out about what he answered about sports and, and what you really mean about he's not as religious as we are. Uh, but we're, we put together, just for our ministry, a five CD package called Wanted, A Friend for God, Reward, The Key to Eternal Joy. And it's available for $40, and we're including a uh, customized uh, booklet of Practicing the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence, uh, which I wrote an intro to. And uh, I'm going to tell you something. God is hungry for your friendship. And this is going to give you the information. You have to do it for yourself. But this is going to give you the information to be in the relationship with God, to know him the way you've always wanted and the way his heart is dreaming for you. And I want you to know 
that anything beyond the $40 that you give us, um, we are going to pour into Jewish ministry. Uh, it was so thrilling for me when I was in Israel in my hotel room to turn on the TV and see my television show in Israel. Now, why was that easy to do? Because we're on secular TV. We're on Christian TV. We're on family TV in Israel. We're on in Russian. We're on in Hebrew. We're on in English. We're on in Arabic. And we were on 28 times uh, a, a week. Rick, is that? I mean, it blows. Secular TV, yeah, Israel. I don't think this has ever happened before. And I just added seven more Hebrew uh, speaking television shows in Israel. Now, the reason I'm concentrating on Israel right now, and of course, we have a ministry that reaches Jewish people worldwide, but this is, I believe it's a new season in Israel. And I believe that most people that are with, I, I, I think I told you the last radio show, um, I, I got such a criticism from one of the leading Messianic Jews in Israel when I said that uh, I had uh, 250 Jewish people, at, unsaved Jewish people at my outreach, and that most of them stood up and publicly proclaimed Jesus. They said, Sid, not more than one or two Jews come to the Lord in a year in Israel. That, you're lying. You're exaggerating. So we offered to send him the video. But I'm, I can't imagine what he's going to say now when we just had 500 uh, of which, uh, 550 of which 525 boldly stood up and proclaimed. I mean, I'm blowing their minds. They don't know that Jewish people, the spiritual scales have come off of the eyes of Jewish people. And the only thing slowing me down at this moment, because I've got the tools, is money. But I know that you're going to invest in this. And when we come back, I have to find some of the questions <laughs> that Rick asked Jesus. I want to hear the answers. Call our order only line, one 800 Uh, This is Sid Roth here with Rick Joyner, and I'm sure enjoying myself. I hope you're enjoying yourself as much as I'm enjoying myself. Uh, But Rick, uh, you had, and and I started out protesting, I'm still protesting, (laughs) hearing and being able to ask God any question you want. Any question. Well, uh, I have to ask you this. And, and hearing the answer as clear as you've ever heard God in your life, uh, you said that Jesus isn't as religious as we think he is. Tell me what you mean by that. Yeah, um, I think a lot of our religious rituals, now there are biblical rituals that are very important, like baptism and you know yeah. communion and all, but I think we build a lot of other things to to build on a formality with God that he doesn't share. I mean, he came as a carpenter. He came as a normal guy, even among the lower classes, and just walked among them. I mean, look who he chose as his disciples. None of them were religious. And uh, they weren't from the religious community. And I think the Lord is far more informal now, there are times for formality, and there's times for formality we see in heaven, in Revelation and everything else. But with family, you don't want formal relationships. And with friends, you don't want 
you know, you start breaking down those barriers of formality. And that's where my relationship with Lord had been. It had been mostly built on what I could do for him. And he started speaking to me even before this encounter. It's not as important what you do as what you become. And uh, we're called to become like him. It's far more important that we grow by the fruit of the, in the fruit of the Spirit and in his nature and, and all of these things but than just what we accomplish. But accomplishing is good. That is part of it, too. We want to bear fruit and fruit that remains. But uh, I think he's more after, you know, a relationship. It says we were created for his pleasure. All right. Give me some practical things that you are currently doing as a result of knowing this now that maybe it'll give me a better idea of what I can do on this friendship business with the Lord. Yeah. Well, one thing I I do is every day uh, I try to give the Lord the best, my earliest, freshest time to listen to him. That's when I'm I'm most alert personally uh, at the beginning of the day. I am too. And so I try to give him that time. And I used to immediately go to the scriptures and study and then prayer and intercession, which is all good things. But I, this changed because to me, what I saw he wanted in his friends, a good friend is a good listener. So, so what do you do? Do you play music? Do you go outside? What do you do? Now, I may walk. Uh, but I may sit and drink a cup of coffee, but I'm not going to read anything. I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to sit there and say, Lord, what would you like to, what would you want to talk about today? What is on your heart today? What is on your, and I do my best to listen. I tell you, this is one of the toughest things I've done in a long time. The other night when you were at Heritage and praying for people and you said, anyone who has trouble with their mind, stand up. I stood up and got my arm healed, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you humbled yourself, right? You know, the leader of a group doesn't stand up. He's he's Superman. He doesn't have a problem. (laughs) Well, I was hoping to get my mind because I have so much trouble focusing. I'm ADD Mm -hmm. to the worst. And I've been trying to take every thought captive. Every day I set about to take every thought captive, make it obedient to Christ. Take all my vain imaginations and turn them into intercession and you know, uh, and conversation with the Lord, and it's just so hard. It's not easy, but he has been so encouraging about what it means to him that I would just set about to do this. And uh, so I do. I, I struggle every morning, but I, I feel like I'm making some progress in just being able to sit quietly before him and just listen to him and let now, him speak. Now, what happens— when you're sitting there and you get your laundry list of what you should do today in, from your mind, not from the Lord, what do you do? I try to turn it off. And sometimes I go pretty long down that line before I can. When I realize that I sh- this is not the time for that. Okay. What did he... Uh, what is, uh, all right. So you have that quiet time at first. What other changes have you made? Well, if I walk anywhere which, you know, walk to my office or walk downstairs. Or I, I try to acknowledge his presence. Uh, I try to just beware of him. And I, 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 I'm sorry. Well, t- help me out. 
What do you mean you acknowledge his presence? Tell me what you're saying or thinking. Well, he said he would never leave us or forsake us. He's with us all the time. He gave us his Holy Spirit to abide us. We're his temple. And uh, when you say acknowledge, though, I mean, you just you realize he's there. Is that what you're I saying? I try to realize he's there and see him with the eyes of my heart. You actually try to see him. I try to see him with my spiritual eyes. And uh, okay. that's what Paul prayed in Ephesians 1, that the eyes of our hearts would be opened, not just our physical eyes. So I try to acknowledge him and see him. And I, I'm just I mean, this is a war that's going on in me now because I am so easily distracted. But I'm fighting this fight. I want to abide in the Lord all the time. I want to get to the place where I've taken every thought captive. It is the Lord's. I want to think what he thinks. I want to right, well, feel well, what he right. feels. What, what, yeah. what if you happen to like sports and you go to a football game? Uh, what do you think he thinks about that? Well, I asked him about that. I said, Lord, what do you think of sports? We give so much attention to sports. He said he, it wasn't a direct answer, but he said he loved what we loved that was not forbidden. Like, I mean, he doesn't, you know, and, uh, you know. So he wouldn't want to join us in an X-rated movie. No. But he would he, he would join us. Now, is there, can st- sports uh, in some cases become an idol? And well, Absolutely. And, but, you know, worship has become an idol with some people. They worship worship instead of worshiping the Lord. You can worship the right. Bible. You can worship almost anything hmm. that is of God rather than God. So, yeah, anything can become an idol, and certainly sports is an idol to a lot of people. I think a lot of Christians spend more time focusing on sports than they do the Lord, and that's out of whack. Uh, did, yeah. he t- did you ask him any questions on what's going on in the world today with uh, the U.S. or anything? Well, I, I did. But, you know, this, these were things also that he brought up because I was asking. I'm trying to be a friend. I said, Lord, what's on your heart? You know, and uh, I said, these things are on my heart. But what's on your heart? And uh, he did start speaking to me about America. And uh, about a specific way that our country would be awakened and would be saved. And uh, this really... you got to tell me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he really did give our founding fathers the wisdom to write our Constitution. It was divinely inspired. It's not scripture, but it was divinely inspired for a government that would enable people to be free and freedom is essential for people to be, to be who he created us to be. That's why he put the tree of knowledge in the garden in the first place. There could be no true obedience unless there's the freedom to disobey. And uh, so there has to be freedom where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. And he really gave this country as an example of the freedom and liberty that he wants people to have. Of course, some people are going to use that liberty for evil. They're going to choose to do wrong and all. But there has to be freedom. You can never force love. You can never force devotion to God. It'll never be real. And uh, But he wants this preserved. But the Constitution is the key to the re- restoration of our nation. I, you know, virtually every problem major crisis problem that we have right now 
is the result of a departure from our Constitution. Now, you saw some uh, uh, terrible things about ready to happen in America. What did you see? Well, this was later. I was given a, a dream of a onslaught, an invasion, actually, across our southern border of an evil that was, it was far worse than anything I've ever comprehended. It was an evil spirit. It was, it was terrorism, and it was, it was terrorist, but it was far worse than ISIS. I don't know how you th- <laughs> Why was it worse than ISIS? I, well, I can't think of anything worse than ISIS. Well, one thing, if you study the uh, formation of ISIS, you know, ISIS was a breakoff from al-Qaeda. Right. Because al-Qaeda thought that these people were too ruthless. Hmm. So al-Qaeda was saying ISIS is too ruthless. Right. And you think, well, that's as evil as it gets, cutting off right. people's head, especially children and everything else. What I saw was far worse than that. It was a sadistic evil to, to be cruel while it was killing people that was freaking out the, IS, the ISIS and the al-Qaeda and the other terrorist groups. They were terrified by this terror. It was so evil. I think... Uh, in the dream, I knew that it was something that had come out of a deep witchcraft from South or Central America. I believe it has some kind of roots maybe in the old Mayan empires or, or things like this. This terrible, terrible, ruthless, cruel evil that is going to rise up and join with the spirit of terrorism. Uh, there are a lot of Middle Eastern groups that are setting up terror space now in South and Central America. And we've known that for a long time. A lot of them in Mexico. Their target is America. Well, this evil rising up from South and Central America, combining with that, is going to be, I think, the most diabolical thing the world's ever seen. So kind of uh, what hope do we have if this is going to happen? Well, first, the first hope, we have a king who's above all rule and authority and power and dominion. (laughs) He can flip his little finger and they're all dead. (laughs) uh, So it's going to force us, and I think it is forcing us. Even right now, just all the news about Ebola and ISIS, (laughs) there's an awakening starting. You saw the results at our place this weekend. We were expecting less than half as many people was crammed into there. For they those they were hanging from the chandeliers. <laughs> I don't mean that literally, but I mean they were jammed. Every I didn't balcony, expect it. everything on a, was on a Saturday night. I figured a lot of people would be heading home for their local churches or something. Well, but a lot of people are home. People are hungry. That's what I see. Absolutely. And, and and what we call religion isn't satisfying the. I mean, I mean, if we, you know, we don't want to talk about the emperor's new, be like the emperor's new clothes. But there's something when I see people so hungry for the reality, mm-hmm. uh, there's got to be a change in the church. There's got to be a change in our relationship with God. We have to become friends with God. Uh, well, after your bike ride, you had an eight-hour visit to heaven. Tell me about that. Yeah. Now, that was a lot better than the, <laughs> I'm sure. the, the dream about hell coming across our southern border. But you've been to heaven before. Was this different? It's very different. Why? Uh, the basic ways, the times I've experienced heaven before, I've seen things like the river of living water, the, the river of life, which, by the way, is living. The water's alive. 
I, I, I never knew that. But the water was alive. Everything in heaven is alive. The train of the Lord's temple is made up of billions or millions of beings. <laughs> I don't know. And the species in heaven, there are more species in heaven than there is on the earth many times over. And, uh, you know, we, we tend to, I've heard people say, well, a th- only a third of the angels fell, so two-thirds are still with us. We need to understand, angels are only one type of being in, in heaven, and they're just the messengers. There are many, we see in Scripture, the cherubim and seraphim and all these other, there are many, many, but heaven, my experience with heaven before was seeing things like that, seeing extraordinary things about um, about you know, the life in heaven that is so much more substantial than on earth, the communication, which is so much more substantial. Uh, I think because heaven was still reigning in the Garden of Eden, you know, in heaven, there's a communication between all things. You communicate with the plants. They communicate back. But it's not in words like we think. So you're not talking. It's like spirit uh, on a spirit level. Yeah. And you fully understand that's why I don't think it, it was shocking to Adam and Eve that the serpent would talk to them. They were used to talking, I believe, to communication with all beings in the garden and uh, on a, a level that we, we just have lost touch with. But these were the kinds of things I'd experienced before. This last visit that was far more wonderful, and every, the, all the other visits I've had like that, My thoughts are heaven is so much better than we could even comprehend. But this last one made all the other ones pale in comparison. Tell me some things. (laughs) Okay. I'll tell you the main thing first. It was all about what I call Kenania Fellowship. The fellowship in heaven was so wonderful. Now, I've tasted it before, like I said, with all the beings there. But this was all about that fellowship. And uh, and at the end, the Lord let me ex- experience just a moment of being there in the same place, the most wonderful part of heaven I've yet seen, but he let me experience it being there alone. And it was like hell. He said, you, you, we have to have this fellowship. We have to have this kinania. And you know, when God said about Adam, it's not good for man to be alone. That's the first thing God ever said wasn't good, was loneliness. And Adam had God when he said that. Think about it. Now, this is ruffle a lot of religious <laughs> feathers, but God made man so that God was not enough for man. Now, he's the main thing. We need God more than we need any other person and all other people, for sure. But we need, he created us to need each other as well. And he really showed me this, and he showed me the wonders and the, the, the fulfillment and just how wonderful the fellowship in heaven was. And, you know, every Christian, I think, dreams of, can't wait to talk to John the Baptist or Moses or Paul the Apostle, you know, but it is going to be way better than we ever dreamed. The fellowship of heaven is, you know, you can't comprehend it here. I can't duplicate the feelings even, but uh, there's still a residue in me. I experienced it. 
You, know, you, you, you told me about the um, uh, uh, shopping center. Explain yeah. that. Well, I have to dig down a little bit to ex- really explain it because I was provoked years ago. My father-in-law was a district manager for J.C. Penney, and he chose which shopping malls Penny stores would go in or whatever. And I was walking with him and a shop, uh, mall manager one time. And uh, a little store had closed in the mall. It's a huge mall. And my father-in-law was so, he was angry about it. He said, how did you let the store go out of business? And I mean, he's, his business is the Penny store, J.C. Penny store. And uh, he was really mad at that manager. What happened here? How did he go out of business? And later I talked to my father-in-law. I said, uh, why would you care about that little store? He said, we all create each other's prosperity. He said, I would never put one of my stores where a Belk store is not coming, a Sears and all the other big anchor stores, a Saks Fifth or somebody. We've all got to be there together. I would never put mine as the only anchor store because we create traffic for each other. And all the little shops create traffic for the big ones. We create traffic for them. But we're all in this together and we don't like to see anybody ever go out of business. And I was just provoked by it. I said, what if the church started thinking that way? Hmm. What if all the mega churches would get absolutely provoked when any little church had to shut down or something? That, that to me sounds like heaven. And this was many years, this was over 20 years ago when I was going through this. And I felt like the Lord spoke to me one time and said, if we were going to build the church that he was going to inhabit, we would have to have the wisdom of the shopping mall developers. And I think that's what it is. We got to care for the little ones, work together with the other big ones. We're all in it together. The little care for the big ones. The big ones care for the little ones. Everybody cares for each other. What what is going to stop that spirit of competition, which is stupid? ISIS and Ebola are going to help. We've got to have God. I'll tell you what. Rick found was (laughs) the key to eternal joy, to bring the heavenly realm on earth. And when we come back, I want him to explain that key to you. But there's no way we can cover all the experiences he had asking the Lord questions, getting audible answers to these questions, what he found out in heaven. Uh, His whole life has been changed because of his revelation and his assignment is to share this wonderful revelation with you. So we put together, uh, just for our ministry, five CDs. Uh, We call the series Wanted, A Friend for God. Would you apply? Wanted, A Friend for God. Reward, The Key to Eternal Joy. And the booklet, By Brother Lawrence, it will revolutionize your life. The practice of the presence of God. Available for a gift of $40. And I told you that it's still, Rick, it is totally unbelievable to me. Secular TV for me, a Jewish believer in Jesus in Israel, where on secular and religious and, uh, and family television, now 35 times a week. We're saturating Israel with the gospel. It's on in Hebrew, in English, in Russian, and in Arabic. If you had said 
is that possible? Even with all my faith, I would have said, no, it's not possible for me to be on secular television in Israel. But guess what? God says all things are possible. He's saying that to you right now. Don't go away. Call our order only line, 1-800-447-2697. 1-800-447-2697. Sid Roth here uh, <laughs> with Rick Joyner. And I, my mind is going in a million different directions with everything going on. But the Lord told you how to bring heaven on earth. The Lord told you the key to joy. And it's different than what most Christians believe. Talk about that. Well, when I was in this last experience, when I was in heaven, that this part of heaven was a mall, as I shared. And that's uh, hopefully in the last segment they connected. But it was. and uh, But it was more wonderful and different. It wasn't where you bought stuff. It was far more wonderful than that. But it was a place of interchange. And then at the end of the stream, I ended up at the end of our main street over at Heritage, you know, where our shops and all are. Mm-hmm. This kind of like a mini mall. I ended up there, and the Lord said, you've got to bring what you experienced here in heaven to there. You've got to bring heaven to earth. And, um, and then, you know, before this, he had told me how I'd entered heaven. Now, I think this is a key understanding because, you know, the law of first mention, the theological principle of first mention, the first time something's mentioned in Scripture is usually a major revelation of its purpose. Right. Well, the first time it is even mentioned in Scripture that God had a house, I think, is one of the most important revelations of what the house of God is supposed to be. And that's when Jacob had his dream. And he saw heaven open. He, he was under open heaven. He saw a ladder reaching into heaven. And the angels of God or messengers of God were ascending and descending upon that ladder. And he wakes up and says, whoa, I didn't know I was in such an awesome place. This is none other than the house of God. So I believe the most basic revelation what the house of God is supposed to be is the place of access to heaven. Where the messengers of God are ascending into heaven and then descending with evidence of heaven's reality. This is what I think the miracles are. This is what I think, you know, this is what I think Jesus demonstrated when he walked the earth. Now, Jesus basically said when he spoke to Nathaniel, he is Jacob's ladder. He said, you're going to see greater things than this word of knowledge I just had about you being under the fig tree. You're going to see the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. So it's through Jesus that we enter. He is Jacob's ladder. But we've got to understand that we're called to have access to heaven. We actually should be more at home in the heavenly realm than we are the natural realm. With the new creation is a new species that is supposed to be becoming more spiritual than it is natural. That's what one of the ancients said. I don't. I can't remember if his brother Lawrence or somebody I read years ago said, you know, we're not called to be human beings who have occasional spiritual experiences. We're called to be spiritual beings who have occasional human experiences. <laughs> you know, and I think this is who we are called to be. This place of access to heaven. So, you know, we've got to take the kingdom of God, what is coming in the kingdom, and bring it here now. And uh, there's the, the heavenly realm, the heavenly authority. 
What Jesus basically did when he healed the cripples was he said, you know, in heaven, we don't have any cripples. Watch what happens when the authority of heaven touches this cripple. You know, in heaven, we have no lack for anything. Watch what happened when heaven touches this little boy's lunch. And, uh, you know, every time the windows of heaven in Scripture are open, there's an overflow on the earth. And it's like too much comes out. We have 12 baskets full left over. There's way too much wine made for those people at that wedding. You know, I mean, it's just if you open the windows of heaven, if we open them even a little, there will be overflow on the earth. So, you know, we've got to start climbing that ladder, which I believe is the progressive revelation of who Jesus is. I believe the more we can see him, who he is and where he sits, the more we're going to ascend into the heavenly realm and bring that authority of heaven to the earth, which trumps any earthly condition, even any earthly law. Even the laws we call the laws of nature are trumped by heaven's laws. You can walk on the water. You can do many other things like fly, you know. And uh, Tell me what he told you about joy. Well, he said, I had entered that realm by using the key to eternal joy. What was that? That's what I asked. <laughs> I said, what did I do? He said, when I set my heart to every day do the things that bring him pleasure, and um, which I had done, been doing from just trying to focus every day on bringing the Lord pleasure and making him happy. And he says, it is the joy of the Lord, not your joy, that is your strength. He said, when you set your heart to bring, when I set my heart to bring him joy, not just focusing on what brought me joy, but bringing him joy every day and that being my main thing, he said, that is the key to eternal joy. He said, every one of his people have this key. They can use it every day, but very few of them even know it. So give me some practical things that you do. To I hope you're catching this. It's not, God, do this for me, do that for me. No, it's what can I do for you? What a different paradigm. So what, what do you do, Rick, to bring him joy? Well, you know, where it says in Psalms, the prayer of the upright is his delight. Just praying brings the Lord joy, brings him delight. So I, I don't want to waste my mind in vain imaginations when I could be bringing God joy by praying, just focusing on prayer, intercession. This is where I'm trying to take every thought captive to do this. There's, you know, I think there is some of the revelation what brings him joy is seeing it in his leaders like John the Apostle. I think he became very much like God. He matured and, you know, he started out as a son of thunder wanting to bring fire down, but then his whole message becomes love. And I mean, he's a, I think he becomes like God in many ways and uh, as we're all supposed to be doing. But when he said nothing brings him more joy than to see his children walking in truth. And, you know, it even says in the last days, it's not those who have truth who won't be deceived. The only ones who are not going to be deceived are those who have a love for the truth. So to have a love for the truth, we've got to walk in the truth. When Jesus prayed in John 17 that we would be sanctified in truth, that's more than just knowing the truth. That's being changed by the truth. 
So I try every day. I'm going to try to walk in truth, be true, you know, be committed to truth, to honesty, integrity, to these things, to, but also walk in, in the truth of his word and his revelation. Uh, what about some other practical things such as worship, witnessing, etc.? I think all that's, you know, uh, all that certainly brings him joy because, you know, saving— well, What do you think brings him the greatest joy? Well, one of one sinner turning, all of heaven rejoices. Hmm which that includes God. So if you can get one person saved, how much joy is that going to bring the Lord? So you want to you want to focus the rest of your life not on building a ministry, but on bringing God joy? Is that proper? What I've, is that correct? Doing his will and bringing him delight and joy, well, those are the main focus of my life. Yeah. And I am, I am. Did you, you felt something when you were in heaven. You felt the atmosphere of heaven. I'm just kind of curious, now that you're back with us. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel that same atmosphere? Sometimes I get a sense of it. It's like a whiff, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know. And, uh, of course, I do believe that he wouldn't have said that about bringing that here if we couldn't do it. I believe that same atmosphere we touch, maybe, you know, it'll be multiplied many times over in heaven, but where we've got to bring that here. And I believe that should be the house of God. I believe every church should have such an atmosphere of heaven that people come from all over just to breathe that atmosphere. You know, uh, on the previous segment, you talked about the the horrific things that you had uh, insight into what's coming to America. Will America turn around? Yes, it will. Um, Yeah. What do you envision happening? I believe we're headed for, I believe we're starting to see the first stages of the third great awakening. I believe there's going to be an awakening. Describe what you see going to happen. Well, I I hear the word awakening. What does that mean? I think you saw it last week at our place. I did. (laughs) There were actually more people there Thursday morning than Saturday night. A lot of them (laughs) were pastors and all had to go home for Sunday. But you saw how cram-packed it was. It was like we couldn't get any more people in this building. There was a hunger and a fire. And these people were absolutely focused from the get-go. Most of our conferences and all, first day is plowing, getting them, you know, Mm -hmm. moving. We didn't, the first minute they were ready to go, there was fire in their eyes. They wanted God. They wanted everything they were there for. I hadn't seen that in many years. Well, you know what? It reminds me of a friend of mine that had lunch uh, with uh, one of the great healing evangelists of our generation, William Branham. And Branham described what you're talking about right now. And this is what Branham said in this last phase, which is what we're entering in. God is going to raise up true anointed apostles and true prophets, and they will have the divine mind of God, and they will speak as the very oracle of God, and whatever they say, God will do it. They won't just prophesy about the future, but 
they will know the mind of God and whatever they say, God will perform it and create the future into existence. He said, why the supernatural power of God will be so greatly manifested that eyeballs will be put in eye sockets, limbs created, hearts made new, even resurrections will be a daily occurrence and preachers won't even have to pay for TV time as the miracles will be reported on the six o'clock news daily. Finally, Branham predicted that a revival of God's glory will flood the nations and God will shake this world with his supernatural power like never before. Then Jesus will return to his church. And that he prophesied, and that is beginning right now, Rick, and I want you to become a friend of God. I need you to get a hold of these five CDs by Rick Joyner, Wanted. A Friend for God, and the booklet, The Practice of the Presence of God. Uh, and I want you to digest this, and I want you to, to know that this is the best time of your life, available for a gift of $40. To place a credit card order for today's offer, call anytime at 1-800-447-2697. That's one 800 447-2697. Or log on to our website at www.sidroth.org to hear this week's interview or watch archives of our television show, It's Supernatural. Visit our website at www.sidroth.org. That's www.sidroth.org. Discover how you can begin watching for free our 24-hour, 7-day-a-week TV network, ISN, the It's Supernatural Network. You can write me at Sid Roth, Post Office Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278. That's Sid Roth, Post Office Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278.